0: Today is April 20th, a date that for some reason Elon Musk finds really funny. 420 is a pot smoking reference, essentially a pull my finger kind of joke that in the real world isn't funny, but it is really hilarious if you are either a 15 year old boy or a tech billionaire. The only thing funnier than 420 to people like this is the number 69. I don't know, I guess I'm telling you this because I'm recording this on April 20th, and it's about Elon Musk's whimsical attempt to buy Twitter. Now, I probably should Google 420 and tell you guys a bit more about it, but I don't really need to do that as the comments section will be filled with hundreds of comments starting with the word actually. And in truth, I really don't want to know much about it as I worry that if I fill up my head with nonsense like this, There's a risk that it'll push out some actually useful information and my channel will eventually degrade into me discussing the genius of using rocket technology to build tunnels, which might make the channel more popular in many ways. So, we get to um, use rocket technology to build tunnels. So my overall goal is to forget having recorded this almost as soon as it's uploaded, and I'll probably do that by listening to Razzle Khan music on repeat play until I've forgotten pretty much everything. Then I can get back to my longer term goal of having a channel that's mostly about rap and of course rapping. The real struggle here is that trying to apply financial norms to Elon Musk's proposed takeover of Twitter is truly a pointless task. And I guess before digging into this story, I'm trying to warn listeners that if you don't know about why he finds 420 funny, and if you don't know about his possibly jokey offer to buy Twitter for $54.20 per share, you may need to find another podcast. The world might make more sense to you if you never hear about any of this stuff. So anyhow, you've been warned. Over the last few weeks, Elon Musk, the inventor of the light bulb and the tunnel, disclosed that he had bought a major stake in Twitter, agreed to join its board, reversed that decision, and then launched a bid to take the company private. His offer values the company at $43.4 billion, but he acknowledged that his offer to take Twitter private may fail. Now, Elon, of course, does occasionally like to pretend that he'll do mergers and acquisitions because he's bored, usually making such announcements on Twitter. He spent around three weeks back in 2018 pretending that he was going to take Twitter private at $420 per share later claiming that this was a joke, and settling fraud charges with the SEC. More recently he started claiming that it was not a joke, it is hard to know what to make of this. Musk announced his bid to buy Twitter last Thursday in a filing with the SEC, in which he said that he would unlock the company's potential to be the platform for free speech around the globe. I think what he means by this is that once he owns Twitter he will be able to achieve his childhood dream of getting to call anyone he dislikes a pedo online. Who are we to question the dreams of the man who invented video games and Twizzlers? He announced on Twitter that despite making a full takeover offer, he would endeavor to keep as many shareholders in the new privatized Twitter as is allowed by law. Insisting that he did not want to monopolize or maximize his Twitter ownership. So I guess he wants to buy the whole company and keep it owned by the shareholders, which is a bit of a confusing idea. But anyhow, when Musk, the inventor of the battery and the electric toothbrush, was pretending to take Tesla private back in 2018, he similarly stated that he was going to let all of Tesla's existing shareholders remain shareholders in the new private Tesla. This of course made no sense at the time and makes no sense today. It is amazing that the man who invented the autonomous vacuum cleaner and penicillin would put forth a plan that makes so little sense. In his typically understated fashion, in an interview at a TED conference, he described his bid as a benefit to humanity, civilizational risk is decreased the more we can increase the trust of Twitter as a public platform, he said. So yeah, we have to keep in mind that reducing civilizational risk is of great importance to Musk. The inventor of the space shuttle, as if he saved civilization through his purchase of a website, he might not need to move to Mars as he appears to be planning, where the average temperature is around minus 80 degrees. Now some of you might be wondering if that is minus 80 degrees Celsius or Fahrenheit, and in truth it just does not matter, it is minus 80 degrees. There is no coat that will help you out in that situation. If Musk can save civilization by owning a social media company, he avoids living the rest of his life in a freezing underground bunker on a distant planet with an unhospitable atmosphere, so you can see why this matters a lot to him. Importantly, he also announced that he doesn't care about the economics of the deal at all, adding that he has a plan B if the bid is not successful. In contrast to nearly all viable takeover offer announcements, Twitter's stock price actually fell by 1.7% on the day of his announcement to $45.08, implying that the market put lower odds on Musk buying Twitter after his formal announcement than it did before the announcement. I am guessing that Plan B is the underground bunker on Mars, or launching a competing social media company, which would cost less money than he proposes to spend buying Twitter. So, is this even a serious offer? Well, Florida man, Governor Ron DeSantis, seems to think that it is. He's threatening to go after Twitter's board of directors, saying that the firm fumbled its fiduciary duty by trying to scuttle a sale of the company's stock at a premium. But company boards are not obliged to just accept every bid that comes in above the current share price, or even to let the shareholders decide. The way corporate law works is that if the board decides in good faith that keeping the company independent and executing management's existing business plan will be worth more to shareholders in the long run than Musk's stoner-themed offer, then they are allowed to decline the offer with no breach of fiduciary duty. Musk's 50420 a share offer is, as he points out, at a premium to the price the shares were trading at when he started buying his stake a few months ago, though far below an average takeover control premium seen in most buyout offers. It is also well below the levels the stock traded at quite recently. Twitter traded above 5420 on most days last year, so 5420 may not be seen as a tempting offer to many long-term shareholders, and many have come out and said just that. As we know, Elon Musk, the inventor of tiramisu and the hair transplant, uses Twitter polls to make almost all of his important life decisions. And so he of course tweeted a poll asking if taking Twitter private at 5420 should be up to shareholders or the board, and the good people of Twitter voted that it should be up to shareholders. Now, there is of course a way of letting shareholders make this decision called a hostile takeover offer, in which a buyer launches a tender offer which goes directly to the shareholders and doesn't have the approval of the board. If the shareholders agree to sell their stock at that price, the deal gets done, but this is not what Elon Musk, the inventor of teenage angst and roll-on deodorant did, he instead sent a vague non-binding letter to the company with a purchase price that is designed to make stoners laugh. Elon's initial offer is akin to driving around a residential area that you find you quite like and shouting out your car window at nearby homeowners that you would like to buy their house that is not listed for sale. Now, As I said, most tender offers do get board approval first, and this is because boards have several ways to directly or indirectly block unwanted takeover offers. One way to block a hostile tender offer is by implementing a poison pill, which is just what Twitter has done, and I'll explain how those things work in just a moment. Now a big question that we are seeing in the press is whether Musk can actually secure the financing to do a deal like this or not. The price action in the stock implies that market participants are not really taking this deal seriously, and that they don't believe he can close the deal. When he was asked at the TED conference if he had funding secured, he replied, I have sufficient assets, and what that basically means is no. He's not pretending to have financing in place this time, his offer is contingent on completing of anticipated financing and due diligence. What that means is that there are many ways he could back out of the deal. If the market thought that the deal was likely to go through, the stock would be trading much closer to the bid price. If the market believed that another buyer might step in, the stock would be trading above the bid price. Right now, investors are not getting involved as it's just as likely that he dumps his shares as that he tries to complete a deal. A lot of people will say that Musk, the inventor of underground taxis and underground traffic jams, is a wealthy man and he can simply finance the purchase himself. After all, he's worth $260 billion on paper and he only needs to come up with around $40 billion to buy the rest of Twitter at $54.20 per share. The most straightforward way to do this would be to sell some of his stake in Tesla and SpaceX. One downside of doing this though is the hefty tax bill generated by those sales. He would need to sell more than $60 billion of Tesla stock to get $40 billion in cash, as he would need additional funds to pay the capital gains taxes. This would likely push down the price of Tesla stock, both because of the large stock sale, but more so because it would signal to the market that he had lost interest in Tesla and was shifting his focus to Twitter. It is a bit like the way he appeared to lose interest in Grimes when the Tesla bot showed up. Now, another way to raise the money would be to pledge his Tesla shares in return for a multi-billion dollar margin loan which he could use to do the deal. But unfortunately, he's already pledged over half of his Tesla shares for loans, and his ability to do this is capped by Tesla as to how many shares he can pledge in total. The reason for this limit is to reduce the risk for Tesla that a dip in the stock price would trigger a margin call, which would then cause a big liquidation of Tesla stock. He could possibly push Tesla to change this rule if he wanted to. Another problem with using his stock to collateralize a multi-billion dollar loan is that most banks would be nervous about taking Tesla shares as collateral due to the volatility of the stock, which exhibits more volatility than Bitcoin. It's also a very expensive stock, meaning that it could fall a lot, making it very unattractive as collateral for a lender. When you add in Musk's reputation as a loose cannon, it is unlikely that he could do a deal this way. Other things he could do though is to get backing from a buyout firm, but once again it is not obvious that they would want to get involved in a deal like this, where Musk has already announced that he doesn't care about the economics at all. If Musk was running Twitter, he would likely be making all of the decisions and not making them with a focus on maximizing cash flow, which would be the core focus for a private equity partner. The Wall Street Journal reported on Monday that Apollo Global was considering investing along with Musk in a potential deal, however Apollo is apparently only considering providing debt or preferred equity funding rather than equity. Another approach would be to use Twitter's debt capacity to get financing from banks, but Twitter's cash flow from operations last year was around $632 million, which is just not going to support anywhere close to the debt required for a takeover. Okay, so that is financing. Now we know that Twitter's board implemented a poison pill a few days ago. So what does that mean? Well, poison pills are a takeover defence strategy that are well established as a poor corporate governance manoeuvre, especially when implemented to entrench existing management, and it is even more egregious when management owns a very low percentage of overall equity. Poison pills are also known as shareholder rights plans, and they were invented in the 1980s, but not by Elon Musk. Poison pills were initially created as a strategy to protect shareholders from corporate raiders. So you might ask, why would shareholders want to be protected from someone who wants to buy their shares from them at a premium? Well there are all sorts of buyout strategies that exist that might not treat all shareholders fairly. A corporate raider might for example buy up more than half of the shares of a company in a tender offer swap out the board of directors for some of their cronies, then propose a merger at a much lower price, which gets approved by this new board of directors, and the remaining shareholders are forced to transact at that unfavorable price. This is known as a two-tier tender offer corporate raiders sometimes even threaten to do things like this and shareholders then cave into their demands accepting a low initial offer price to avoid getting a much lower price if they stay on as minority shareholders to a certain extent musk is already threatening twitter shareholders by saying that 5420 is his highest offer price and that he might dump his 10% stake if the deal does not go through we should note as well that a chunk of Musk's stock purchases were done illegally. He was required by law to disclose his ownership stake by March 24th, but he didn't disclose it until April 4th, and then he claimed to be a passive investor at that point. This delay allowed him to buy an extra 13 million shares at a lower price than he would have paid had he announced on time, saving him and costing the shareholders who sold as much as $150 million. Twitter can quite reasonably argue that the poison pill protects existing shareholders from being tricked by this type of unlawful secret stock accumulation that Musk has already been seen to engage in. Now, the way poison pills usually work is that a rule is passed that if a buyer acquires more than a certain percentage of the company's stock, then the company is able to dilute that buyer's ownership stake. They do this by allowing all of the other shareholders of the company to buy more shares either at a discount or by simply giving all of the shareholders, other than the corporate raider, more shares for free. So, if for example anyone builds a stake of let's say 15% of the company's stock, the company then distributes one free share of stock for each existing share except to the person who went above 15%. So, everyone else's share count gets doubled, knocking the Raiders stake down to 7.5%. There is no limit on how often the company can do this, effectively forcing the raider to negotiate with the board of the company to progress the takeover. Now this of course sounds a bit strange and a bit unfair, so obviously it was controversial when first implemented, and when something is controversial there is usually a lawsuit. The Delaware Supreme Court approved this tactic in a 1985 decision, noting that the board's reason for the adoption of the rights plan was in reaction to a perceived threat in the marketplace of coercive two-tier tender offers. It was decided that drastic measures like the poison pill are justified in such cases to block coercive takeover tactics. In the case of Twitter, If Musk or anyone else acquires more than 15% of Twitter's stock, then every other Twitter shareholder will have the right to pay $210 to acquire $420 worth of Twitter stock at whatever the market price is at the time. Do you see what they did there? Four twenty. It's a pot smoker joke, because in defending against Musk, it appears that it's important to go to the same level as Musk. You have to understand that there will have been lawyers who had to sit there in a meeting and listen to a snickering Twitter executive insisting that the number 420 be forced into the deal. The lawyer will have said, yeah, yeah, I'll put that in, they can buy shares at a 50% discount." And the Twitter executive will have said, no, no, you have to put in the number 420. It's the only way we'll be taken seriously. I feel that lawyer's pain. Anyhow, if triggered, the poison pill will both destroy the value of Musk's stake and dilute his votes. In the 1980s, a lot of companies put poison pills in place, whether someone was trying to buy up the shares or not. Today, they are generally only used to protect against corporate raiders, and they generally have short expiration dates. Adopting poison pills will never win a board an award for great corporate governance. In some regions, poison pills are illegal, and although they are legal, they are rarely used in the US. In March 2020, when the stock market fell quite a lot at the start of the COVID pandemic, a lot of poison pills were quickly put in place by companies who worried that hedge funds would exploit the market crash by taking big positions in their stocks and attempt takeovers on the cheap. Twitter's rights plan expires in one year's time. I guess they could have had it expire in 420 days. They possibly missed a trick there. So, as of right now, there is a bit of a stalemate between Twitter and Elon Musk, the founder of PayPal and Tesla. The Twitter board has managed to get some breathing space and can consider this bid and possibly try to find additional bidders in the open market. The poison pill will encourage Musk to negotiate with the board and to demonstrate that he is financing lined up, essentially he will have to show that this whole thing is not an elaborate April Fool's Day prank. Musk is left with two main options. He can negotiate with the board and try to strike a friendly deal, or he can pressure the board into dropping the pill with a tender offer and proxy fight. Right now, he's hinting that he'll take the second approach. A tender offer is a public binding document filed with the SEC, which is available to all shareholders. It discloses the buyer's plans, and most importantly in this case, their financing. Shareholders if they like the deal can tender into this offer. Now, Musk won't be able to buy the shares right away, as the tender offer would be contingent on getting rid of the poison pill, but if enough shareholders tendered into this offer, the board would likely go along with them and get rid of the poison pill. If Musk negotiates a merger with the board, it allows the board to insist on protections for all of the shareholders. They can require that shareholders be given a choice of cash or stock in the new private company, and that there be enough funding in place so that if all shareholders elected for cash, they would get it. The board can still of course say no to Musk, But that's unlikely as shareholders would possibly be upset with them and the stock price would likely fall. But it's still within the range of possibilities and if they did this, a court would be unlikely to intervene. Okay, so this is where April 20th's podcast ends. But the next day on April 21st, Elon secured funding for his takeover deal and once again the stock price barely budged. So I am recording this follow-up piece to discuss the new information. So Elon Musk filed a Schedule 13-D with the SEC today which updates his prior 13-G form which was his offer to buy Twitter. The new filing shows a letter from his banks offering a $13 billion loan to Twitter if he buys it, a second letter offering to lend him $12.5 billion secured by $62.5 billion worth of his Tesla stock, and a third agreement is included between Elon Musk and himself that he will put in place the remaining $21 billion. So this is now looking like a more serious offer than before, but the fact that Twitter's stock price barely budged means that it is not yet being taken seriously. So why is this? Well, the loans that Twitter would be taking on are variable rate loans tied to SOFR, and overnight lending rate. And when these loans are combined based on the current variable interest rate, it means that the annual service cost would come to around $1 billion, which Twitter could possibly cover based on current analyst projections. But things might get a little bit tight if Musk were to cut back on advertising on the platform as he suggested he will do. Next up is the margin loan made directly to Musk for $12.5 billion. It would be secured, as I mentioned, by $62.5 billion of his Tesla stock, a 20% loan to value ratio. Should Tesla stock price fall, below $546 per share, a level that it has been below in the last 12 months, he would be required to either pay back some of the loan or post more stock as collateral. He would have to pay a floating rate on that loan too, and at present the interest rate would be around 4%, which is 3% over SOFR. Along with amortization of 5% a year, he'd be paying his banks around a billion dollars a year for that loan. On top of that, he's committed to put up 21 billion of his own money. Now, of course, he could and he probably would want to get another investor to put up some of that 21 billion dollars. But if he made a tender offer tomorrow, he would have to put that up. So he hasn't yet made a tender offer, but he has shown financing, which means that he could do this. I'm not yet sure that he will, though. The more money he borrows against his Tesla stock, the more he's at risk of getting shaken out of it should a correction occur in the stock price. And we have to wonder if he would really want to do this just to own Twitter. Right now with his 10% stake in Twitter, he can agitate for any free speech changes that he wants, and management would most likely listen to their biggest shareholder, and actually the biggest tweeter on their platform. Additionally, if he has any turnaround ideas, I am sure they would listen to those ideas too. If his aim with Twitter is non-financial as he states, He can probably achieve it right now without doing a buyout. That is probably the main reason that the stock price was mostly unaffected by the fact that he secured financing, because even if he can actually buy Twitter, it is not really that obvious why he would want to. Anyhow, if you enjoyed this podcast, it is mostly based on my corporate finance book, and there is a link to that in the show notes below.